0: want to have you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Um, Thank you for coming out on this cold, wintry Palm Saturday night. You know it's cold when Siobhan looks like she escaped from a nativity scene somewhere, dressed as a sheep, (laughs) and the rocket stove makes another appearance how we welcome our guests as we pour smoke into their faces. Uh, Luke chapter 19, and we have been going through uh, Matthew now, um, and the, specifically the Sermon on the Mount, we concluded chapter six last week. And all through the last four weeks, as we've talked about uh, Matthew chapter six, we keep going back to uh, where Jesus is telling them the I, verse 22 of chapter six, the I is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And in one of the weeks, about four weeks ago, we talked, what is it to actually view or to try to see the world as darkness? Jesus sees the world, or as we say, an eternal view, because it is very easy for us to get wrapped up, and when it talks about our eyes being dark or how we view things, it means that we will see things in an earthly perspective. Last week, we uh, looked at the prophet Elisha and how he prays, God, help my servant see uh, what I can see. And God revealed to the servant that he had this army amassed, meaning that there is a spiritual warfare constantly going on. But God is the king of hosts, if you will. He is Lord over everything. He has what it takes, but we have a tendency to view with earthly vision. We don't see things in an eternal point of view. View And so I want to uh, look at Luke chapter 19, and we're calling this and next week the peace and presence of Jesus Christ. And I want to look at the difference between an earthly view as we look at the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. I want to look at it in uh, uh, two different acts, if you will, with an earthly view and with an eternal view. Now if you know me, and some of you have known me a very long time, I have never in my life on purpose ever preached a message that is alliterated. I in the past have worked through an outline and realized on accident everything began with the same letter and purposefully changed the last point to make sure I had a long streak going of never preaching a message that was alliterated even though in college I'm pretty sure you got extra points if you did it. So tonight, this message is not stolen. But as we were working through this as a team, and then I literally just pulled out a piece of paper and started writing down all the main words I'm seeing, and all of them began with the letter P. And I said, what have I done? And so we will begin by reading Luke, starting in uh, uh, chapter 19, in verse 28, it says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethany, Bethpage, and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, "Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it," Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. It's an interesting passage. It starts off pretty strong. Here comes the king, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and it ends in such an interesting way of a tone of destruction. So I want to look at three different things from an earthly view. The first one is in verse 36. And that is the word, the people. And what I want you to do, and I'm gonna kind of walk through an application as we go, I want you to see where do you fit in or are there characteristics in this that we can see, oh, I have fallen into a, a worldly viewpoint or an earthly viewpoint in the way that I view Jesus. And so, The first thing I want to look at in verse 36 is the people. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, put Jesus on it. Verse 36, as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Here's something that maybe in your lifetime you've learned about people. They are fickle. A lot of times relationships, they love you when things are going good. When things are going good, you have lots of friends. And we see that with Jesus. When, when he's performing miracles, when, when people are being healed, as he's preaching these wonderful words, the crowds come out in the thousands. But then as we talked about it last week in John chapter 6, when the teaching gets a little rough, it says that many disciples left him that day and no longer followed him. So they loved him when things are good, but they abandoned him when things didn't go how they wanted. The people love to be entertained. A couple years ago, we talked about the three trials of Jesus. And when he went in front of Herod Antipas, it's very aware Herod is basically saying, entertain me. Do some of those tricks I've heard so much about. And he doesn't do it. And so Herod says, I have no use for this person. And we, same thing with us as people. As people love to be entertained, they wanted a show But when the show wasn't happening, they walked away. When people loved being healed, there was something in it for them. When Jesus was arrested, they ran. These people are, as we saw in Matthew chapter 9, they're they're worn out, they're oppressed, they're worn out by everyday life, and here was a glimmer of hope for a lot of them. Palm Sunday, they're throwing their cloaks on the ground, welcoming into the city, singing Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Five days later, maybe some of those same people are shouting, crucify him. And when Jesus is hanging on the cross, the only record is John, his mother, and Mary are there. So how do we ask ourselves, where do we fit in? How is our relationship with Jesus? Do we love him when things are going good and run when things aren't going well? Are we in it because we get something out of it, but as soon as it seems like the show's over, we're done? We cry out to Jesus, heal us, heal this, fix this, make this. And if it isn't answered the way we want it answered, we go look for it somewhere else. Or maybe you're following, but you are just worn out by everyday life. You're exhausted and you're tired. Church is just another thing that you have to go do. Community group is just another thing that you have to go do. And it's just easier to take the time for yourself. The second P in the earthly view is the place. Here we have Jerusalem in verse 37. It says, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Now, I am in no way downplaying the importance of Jerusalem. It is called throughout the Bible the center of the world, the center of earth. Uh, this was the chosen land for God's people. And so I in no way I'm trying to uh, talk about Jerusalem as, as something other than what it's continually called through Scripture. But I want to look at the people that are coming into the city of Jerusalem. This is the Passover week. This was a huge pilgrimage that, that the Jewish people from all over the world are making their way to Jerusalem. But the problem was they were doing all the right stuff, but they were doing it for the wrong reasons. They were going about the motions, but their hearts weren't in it. Their hearts were not actually following God. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but possibly showing up to the right place at the right time of year because it's tradition, it's what you've always done. Think of Easter at church or Christmas. You're doing all the right stuff, but it's being done for the wrong reasons. The heart's not there. It's just tradition. Everything that we see that was happening, for the most part, it was filled with tradition, but It had been perverted by man's interests and desires. In fact, right after this story, we see Jesus going into the temple and he's flipping over tables. Why? Because what was meant to be this beautiful picture, what was meant to be the court of Gentiles in the temple where the Gentiles could come in and see the glory of God had been made into conveniences for the Jewish people and had been turned into this corruption where the actual religious leaders were making money off of these oppressed people because it's benefited them. So we have the people in verse 36, we have the place in verse 37, and then we get to verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. The third P, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious and political leaders of the day. The Pharisees had uh, created laws on top of laws, and they had set themselves up, and we talk a lot about uh, the Pharisees being self-righteous, and I realize I I can get very upset when I talk about the Pharisees until I realize, oh, I'm one of them. That's the reason I find them so annoying is they remind me of me. They wanted to look good. They wanted to make sure that people knew that they had a they this very important, place but what they were most concerned about as we see here in several other places they were concerned that they were going to lose one their profit they were going to lose their money Uh, they made a lot of money most pharisees were quite wealthy individuals but they're also going to lose their popularity the people that claimed to be closest to god did not recognize the messiah when he was standing in front of them they fought him played a major role in crucifying him. And here they're saying, hey, teacher, rebuke your disciples. We don't want the Romans to see this guy coming in. What will they do? They'll be upset. They had no fear of God. The Messiah was coming into the city. They feared man. They feared what would other people think or what if they lose their, 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 their respect and their fear that should have been up for God and looking for what God had for them was reserved for the political leader or the military power of the day. They wanted peace on earthly terms. And Jesus was bringing about peace in eternal terms. So that is the earthly view. Maybe you see yourself in in one of those and most assuredly you can see somebody else that's not you in some of those. Now let's look at the eternal view. What is the eternal view that we see in this story? How do we see the world? How do we look at our surroundings in the way that Jesus does? Number one, in the eternal view, we see the person and work of Jesus. Look at verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Even though they're announcing Jesus as king, and he's riding in, he looks at the city and he mourns. He weeps. This isn't just Jesus looking over the city and one tear coming down his face. In the original language, it's him actually weeping. Being emotional over looking at the city that he came to rescue, the city that he loves, the people that he has spent thousands of years loving and guiding and looking out over them, protecting them, rescuing them time and time again. And yet, he says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Jesus knew the work that he was on earth to accomplish. That he would uh, defeat sin and death. That he would go through such horrible pain and punishment for these very people and yet they are rejecting him. One author said he lamented lost opportunity. I'm convinced when we think of the person and work of Jesus and what he did for us and a proper way of worshiping him is that we look at our surroundings, we look at where we live, work, learn, and play, and we look at our communities, and we look at our families, and when we realize that there is lost opportunity for them to know the person and work of Jesus, that we weep over them. One moment that has always stood out to me several years ago was a presidential election. And I remember afterwards and one elect one person was announced a winner and they went to the news and there was a pastor's wife on a news channel who was crying because um, her candidate had not won. And the first, you know, it's easy to condemn somebody else. And you're thinking, I can't believe she's crying over this as a pastor's wife. And then I thought, when's the last time that Because in my head I thought, when's the last time she cried over somebody who didn't know the Lord that she's close to? And then turned the finger back at myself and said, when's the last time I did that? When's the last time that I was um, uh, visibly, emotionally upset because I was saddened at somebody that I loved who did not know Christ? When we understand or when we try to focus and we meditate on the personal work of Jesus and that he accomplished defeating sin and death, that he went through the punishment for us so that we no longer had to, it changes how we view the world around us. It should change that we see the things around us with an eternal view and the fact that people do not know him, do not know the peace, the joy, the love, the forgiveness that he brings, that should cause an emotional reaction in our beings to go and tell others what they're missing out on. The second P under our eternal view is in verse 42. Right after it says, he wept over, he says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. The peace. Peace. The peace that passes all understanding. You think about Jesus riding in as this uh, victorious king, yet he's riding in on a young donkey. Well, the donkey was a mount of a man of peace. A horse would have been better suited for a, a king, a warrior, this powerful leader, but instead this man rides in on a donkey, which was the ride for a merchant or a priest. The donkey is this visual scene that they would have recognized as he's a man of peace. Jesus was literally the ambassador of peace to earth. We sing a lot about his, the peace on earth when it's Christmas time, but think of the peace that he would be able to bring for all mankind because of what he accomplished as we celebrate his death and resurrection. Because Jesus defeated sin and death, he offered a way for us to have peace that passes all understanding. The thing that we have for generations of all humans wanted is peace, but we continually look in the wrong place. When we try to love without Jesus, we strive to bring peace without the ultimate peacemaker even being involved. It becomes what can we do in human power and strength instead of us being a vessel for God's power to work in us and through us as we represent that peace that only he can provide into people's hearts and minds. This peace is brought about by the gospel. Understand in Ephesians chapter 2, which we'll read in a moment, the gospel is reconciliation. Reconciliation. It is man being reconciled to God. Mankind who are dead in our trespasses and sins and God bringing about only because of what Jesus did when he defeated sin and death, what he accomplished on the cross and the empty grave. It is where peace begins and ends. We can only have reconciliation with God and with each other when we are able to understand what was done for us. And The third P in this eternal view is in verse 40. When the Pharisees and the crowd said to Jesus, "Teacher, rebuke your disciples," he said, "I tell you," he replied, "If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out." Jesus is worthy of all the praise we can give him. He is worthy of every bit of worship that we could possibly give him. And again, worship is interchangeable with the word serve. Anything that we do, he is more than deserving. It is the praise that he deserves and I love how he says I can make the people be quiet but the stones and the trees and everything else will cry out have fun explaining that one one of our values at Hope Church is that worship is a way of life that the way that we live our life should be in constant worship constant service of this prince of peace We talk about Romans 12, the entirety of Romans 12 is this beautiful short picture of how we should live as our lives are a complete sacrifice, but then he goes on, you should be part of the local body of believers, and then this is how you go about your life. And so as we look at worship as a way of life, and we read through Romans 12, we should ask ourselves, how then shall we live to properly demonstrate in our lives what it is to have a relationship with the Prince of Peace? Only when we stop and recognize all God has accomplished for us through Jesus Christ can we begin to properly worship him in the way we should. The season when we celebrate Jesus' triumphant entry and death and resurrection should be a call to us to stop and examine where our worship truly is being placed. To close in prayer, and then we're going to go into a time of communion. And we're going to do communion a little different. We're going to walk through a couple different steps of communion. So if you'll join me in prayer, Lord, we thank you so much for your love towards us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us that there is nothing that we could ever do in our own power to have that relationship with you, but you accomplished it all with your son. Lord, I pray that as we go into this time of communion, as we go into this time of reflection, that we would be able to pause our hearts and our minds and examine ourselves. We'd be able to spend time meditating on who you are and what you accomplish so that we can know the peace that only you can bring. I pray these things in Jesus' name.